Good morning. <laughs> Slight trigger warning. There's going to be some mild swearing later on. I mean, very mild. But it will be there. I want to talk to you about where your confidence is. How confident are you feeling today? Uh, perhaps already with that line, like I'm slightly less confident or slightly more confident about the next half an hour than I was. How confident will you feel tomorrow morning? Whatever it is that you're going to do or not do, how are you going to feel about that? All of us have ways by which we measure our confidence, by which we essentially have, it's like a feedback loop. The criteria by which we say, I'm feeling confident. And that's kind of built out of or flows out of what we want to do with our lives, what we want to achieve. Tony Swartz, writing in the New York Times, says, Our shared core hunger is for value. We desperately want to matter and feel a sense of worthiness. That's true, isn't it? If you feel like life's just drifting along at the moment, you are unlikely to feel satisfied with that. If you feel like you're doing what you feel you should be doing, you will be feeling satisfied and you're likely to be feeling confident because our purpose in life, our sense of meaning, is a huge driver of how and why we feel confident. And according to what that is for you, you have different measure of criteria. There are, uh, there's personal things, isn't there? There's how the people around us are relating to us and the feedback that they are giving us. How many people are liking the things that we are saying on social media? How did our review with our boss go? How are our colleagues responding to us at the moment? How is our spouse responding to us? How are our children or our parents responding to us? These things can be key for us and they can be where our confidence comes from. And this is true because you know that if some people say something to you, it can really, you say, this really shook my confidence. When they said they weren't happy about that, when they said that I'd done that in that way, I felt, I felt really unsure, I felt insecure. My confidence was rocked by that. Maybe for you there are other kinds of measurements. They're slightly more practical or less personal. Things like money, how much of it do you have? And how much of it is there coming in to you on a regular basis? This time of year, particularly if you're a student, you might be feeling, how is this exam going to go? How is this essay going? My confidence is based firstly in how many words I've written and then what grade I get back from that later on. For some people, maybe it's your health. And we live in a time where we talk about the quantified self. It's more possible than ever to know exactly how your health is doing. And therefore, your confidence rises or falls according to how many fruit and veg you've eaten today, how many steps you've taken today that have been recorded and you're being told you've done more or less. And these things give us or take away from us our confidence. And then there are just the things that are, uh, I guess, values to us. Our appearance for some people, that's a huge confident thing. So I can't go out of the house until I look a certain way or I feel like I look a certain way. My confidence is affected by that. Or maybe it's what you're doing with your life. Are you making the world a better place? And there's an initial sense of confidence of feeling a righteousness of this is what I want to do. Ah, oh, that's good. I want to do a good thing. But then as time goes on, the confidence might start to slip a little bit as you think, well, have I actually changed the world at all yet? Or not. Maybe for you it's something like the value of providing for your family. If I'm providing for my family, I've, I've, I'm doing the right thing. Or maybe simply it's just doing your best. 
Am I uh, making the most of the opportunities that I've been given? Am I, am I giving myself in all these ways? If I'm doing all these things, then I have confidence. Or it may just be as simple as, I'm not Donald Trump. <laughs> it's a low bar, but I've cleared it. <laughs> and so we feel confident. And actually, that's true. If you just, I mean, the number of people who have no relation to what's going on in American politics right now, but feel very passionately about it, I think is rooted in a sense of confidence. It's, I'm not those guys. And so whether it's values, uh, whether it's uh, measurements, practical measurements, uh, whether it's people, there are all these different things for us that affect our confidence according to what we are trying to do with our life, how we are trying to live our life. This sense, this desire for meaning and for purpose. And a lot of that's really good. You're not an accident, despite what people might tell you. You're not an accident. And so this sense of drive and meaning isn't a random thing in you. It was put there. You are made by a God who does things to achieve things. And you are made in his image. You're made like him, the Bible says. And so this sense of purpose, this sense of desire, is a legitimate God-given thing that actually goes against some of the things that we are told. So, oh, nothing, everything's meaningless, everything's random. We say, no. Instinctively, we feel it. No, there's purpose to my life. That's a really good thing. But the danger is when that legitimate thing and the metrics by which we measure how we're doing with that become the source of our confidence. They can be helpful for feedback. They are terrible for determining and assessing your life overall. One of the ways in which to tell whether or not this is what's going on for you is when those metrics that count for you go down. And it's sometimes actually quite hard to tell, isn't it? You think, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm okay. Am I confident in this? Is my life dependent on that? And sometimes the only way you'd know is if it was taken away. And it's, sometimes, it's difficult to have empathy with that, necessarily. It's not like, oh, well, if, you know, if I suddenly lost my job, how would I feel about that? I don't know. And, and sometimes we have experiences like that, where things that we were putting our trust in go. And then we discover where our trust really is. In Philippians 3, which we're going to be looking at today, we're going to be reading the dream CV. We're going to be reading about a guy who was A++++ on his life plan. He was nailing it. Every reason for confidence he could possibly have by his metrics, he was totally achieving. And yet, he came to see it all as crap. <laughs> I know. He didn't realize it. He didn't, he didn't have to realize it by losing it all. It wasn't that he was suddenly in this dark, despairing place and then something new came in. What happened to him was he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his whole life. And he changed the measurements by which, he, by which he assessed his life. And the basis for his confidence was totally changed because of this incredible encounter with God. And I want you to have a sense of this could be for you as well. I want you to be thinking about your own life, where your confidence is, what you are putting your confidence in. Because this isn't just a case of what will happily get us through this life. This is about what counts forever. And so we're going to read Philippians 3 together. I'm just going to read it through once, and I'm going to go through and highlight some of the key words, hope you have a sense of uh, what's going on with it. Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble for, to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So this is the Apostle Paul uh, speaking to the Philippians and he starts by saying, Rejoice in the Lord. That is the twelfth time he has used that word in this letter so far. He, he's had two chapters and he's already said rejoice um, 11 times. He's like starting chapter 3. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. May your happiness be rooted, Paul says, in Jesus. Which really is the answer uh, to the whole of what we're looking at uh, today. Paul was a guy who had experienced a lot. He'd experienced incredible suffering and in wonderful uh, things happening, all sorts of stuff. But Paul's life, he said, is to always be defined by rejoicing. And you rejoice when you're confident. It's very difficult to be rejoicing when you're not confident. And so if your confidence is going up and down, the amount you rejoice will probably do something quite similar to that. And Paul says, that's not how Christians are to live. He keeps saying rejoice. Later on in chapter 4, he's going to say rejoice in the Lord always. So just in case you thought it was, well, sometimes things are up, sometimes things are down. I'll rejoice, I'll try. No, Paul says always. This celebration, this confidence in the Lord Jesus is how we're to live. And then he kind of, the tone changes a little bit, doesn't it? Verse 2. He gets pretty angry. Now, if you know the story of Paul, if you read in the New Testament, you'll see uh, that his story, and we'll look at it in a minute, was he came from a Jewish background um, and came to put his trust in Jesus and realized that Jesus was the only way, the only truth, the only life. In order to live for God, in order to uh, be right with God, you needed to put your trust in Jesus. That was the only thing that counted. And if I was doing this preach 60 years ago, I pr- this would probably be the main thing I would say because most people would have considered themselves religious and most people would have thought, I'm okay because I do some religious things. And that's what the Jewish people thought. They thought they, they'd been called by God, which they had, and that he'd given them things to do and ways to identify themselves, which he had, and they put their confidence entirely in those things which they shouldn't have done. And that is the whole of Paul's argument. And he finds everywhere he goes, he's followed by people who are trying to dial back on this. So wherever Paul goes saying, it's just all about Jesus, pretty soon afterwards some guys say, it's also about circumcision and obeying the rest of the law of the Old Testament. And Paul couldn't stand these guys uh, because he disagreed with them strongly and it was a big deal. And so uh, Philippians, which is written slightly later on in Paul's, uh, I guess, dealings with these guys, betrays a fair amount of frustration with them. And that's why we get this verse. 
Porting three times really, really lays into these guys. See, some things, it's possible to have different opinions on what's, you know, I'm going to do things this way, you're going to do things this way. Okay, that's fine. There are various parties you can vote for in the UK elections, and like, within, there's, you know, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay. You know, there's obviously strong differences, but it's not the end of the world. This is the end of the world, Paul says. This is life and death. And so he cannot just be polite about it. You cannot just say, well, they think things slightly differently. What, what are you going to do? No, he lays into them. He calls them dogs. In case you're wondering, that's really rude. <laughs> I know that we like dogs. Or, I mean, I don't like dogs. But, um, <laughs> but this isn't just my personal thing. This is, so uh, dogs in that ancient world uh, roamed the streets. They were wild. They weren't especially domesticated. They certainly weren't like a labradoodle or anything like that. They were, they were tough things that lived on the edges, lived off the scraps. And so uh, to be called a dog is not a great thing. Even more so, uh, it was something that Jews would often call Gentiles, uh, non-Jews. So this is what Jews would call people who weren't Jews. They would call them dogs. And Paul calls a bunch of Jews dogs. This is like double, um, you know, it's, it's not just bad, it's really bad. And then he calls them the evildoers, which is ironic because everything they're saying is they, they're saying, you've got to do these good things. And Paul says, when you tell me I've got to do these good things to be accepted by God, what you're actually doing is evil. And then he calls them mutilators. And this is when it gets a slightly awkward illustration because one of the key things for them, uh, these opponents of Paul, was saying to identify yourself as belonging to the people of God. If you're a guy you had to get circumcised because that's the mark in the Old Testament that you belong to the people of God. It happens to Abraham, who's the start of the people of Israel, and then all his sons forever and ever and ever, they get circumcised. It's, so, it's a sign that they belong to God. It's, the, it's their identity. It's what they have their confidence in. Do I belong to God? Yes, I can show you. I'm not going to, but I can show you. That's what they would say. And the word for that in Greek is peritome. And this word Paul uses is katatome. And it means to slice to ribbons, to mutilate, to slash. And Paul says, you who with a knife want to make a small cut are actually destroying. And again, there's a double irony of this because uh, the temple, which is where the Jews gathered to worship God, um, you, had to be in, uh, you had to be in good physical condition to get into the temple, to get into the presence of God. And if you were in any way, uh, particularly uh, around the genitals, in a mess or just, you know, there was something wrong with you, you couldn't go into the temple. And Paul says, this is what happens when you try to earn your own way in. This is what happens when you try to define, when you try to, by your actions, get into the presence of God. You actually can't get in. It's totally different. So Paul is on the rampage. And then he says this, we are the circumcision. That's an amazing thing. He says, we. Who's he writing to? The Philippians. How many Jews are in Philippi? Not many. In fact, when Acts tells us when they go to Philippi, usually Paul goes to the Jews first. He doesn't do that in, in, uh, when he goes to Philippi. There just weren't any. And so he's saying, hey guys, me, a Jew par excellence, as we'll look at in a moment, and you, people who are not circumcised, who are not Jewish at all, we are the circumcision. We are those who are marked by God. We are those who belong to God. It isn't based on uh, any of that uh, previous behavior. It's based on something else. Which he goes on to describe. 
says you've got a choice. You can live in a way that is dependent on yourself or that's dependent on someone else. If you, by your good deeds and by what has been done to you in your kind of heritage and religious behavior, if, you've, if you are putting your confidence in those things, if those are your metrics, Paul says, you're in trouble. And he says, I'll prove it to you. Because it's a big claim. He's just been very rude and very strong. You think, well, how certain of you are this? Paul says, I can tell you this because I am the guy with the dreams TV. I'm the guy who's done this better than any of the rest of you. And so he goes on to say, so let's just go through this. Um, he say, what does he say? He says, I've got reason for confidence. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's the day you're supposed to be circumcised, just in case you're clear. So baby's born, uh, baby boy's born, eight days later, circumcised. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying, I'm pure blood. I go all the way back to Abraham. Some people kind of came in uh, and they would see the, the Jewish lifestyle and they'd say, this is how I want to live. This, this looks good. I want to follow this God. And they were welcome, but they weren't quite the same. It wasn't quite the same, was it? Because, you know, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, Paul says, all the way back. And of the tribe of Benjamin, um, the history of, uh, of Israel, there were 12 tribes. They were the nation. Ten of them um, kind of got cut off and went off all over the place their own way. But two remained. Two remained faithful. Judah and Benjamin. So Paul's saying, I'm not just any old tribe of Israel, by the way. I'm not just anyone back to Abraham. One of the faithful two. A Hebrew of Hebrews. My mum and dad were Hebrews. They taught me how to speak Hebrew. I'm Hebrew. As to the law, a Pharisee. Now, when we hear the word Pharisee, if we've got any sense of kind of Christian cultural history, we think Pharisee, boo, they're the bad guys. No, the Pharisees were the good guys. In that time, they were the best. They were the ones who were really working out what it meant to follow God. They were studying God's word. They were doing everything they could. They were really careful to make sure that they were pleasing to God in every aspect of their life. And Paul said, I was one of those guys. I was strict. There was no, you know, there's no playing around the edges with me on this. I was doing exactly what God wanted me to do, as much as I possibly could. And that's why he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's not saying he's perfect, but he's saying everything that God, everything that God said to do from in the law, I did it. I did it, which obviously included making sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins when he did sin. But it was his whole life was in this way. And it's a really interesting word that Paul uses to describe all of this. This perfect CV, he talks about the flesh. His, his context for this is in uh, verse uh, 3 and into verse 4. He says, put no confidence in the flesh. And then he says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. What does that mean? Flesh isn't in this context just meaning things that are physical. Often Christians have got this a bit the wrong way around, and it's sometimes why they're like, well, the body doesn't really matter. This world doesn't really matter. One day we're going to get rid of the body and float off and be somewhere floaty forever, and that'll be fine. And actually, that's not what the Bible says. So you can understand why they would make that mistake with this word. Flesh here means everything that is apart from God. It's, if you kind of consider the two things of life being the things of God are, are spiritual, and that God is spirit, and then the things of uh, the world as opposed to God are fleshly, Paul says, this is what I'm kind of thinking about. This is how I'm describing this to you. He says, all these religious behaviours, all these things are of the flesh. They are things that you do. They are about your pedigree. They are about your performance. And Paul says, these will count for nothing. All the metrics, everything, he's 10 on 10, 10 on 10, 10 on 10, 10 on 10. 10. So you, just imagine what that would look like for you. 
what that salary would mean uh, for you, what that job title would mean for you, what the relationship status for you would be, what other people would say and think about you. Imagine those maxed out, maxed out, maxed out, the best that they could be of everything, 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 everything. And Paul says, if you are putting your confidence in that, you are totally wrong. You have been fooled because they are crap compared to the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. That's what he says. You might not believe it, but it's what he says. Here we are. So Paul's basically walking along, 10 on 10, and one day Jesus encounters him. It's famous Damascus Road experience. And God, Jesus, actually shows himself to him. And in that moment in Paul's life, it's almost like he had a, 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 like a, a credit column and a debit column. And in his life before, every, all these things, all these good behaviors were in the credit column. Do this, done this, done this, this happened to me, I'm like this, 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 all great. And in the moment in which he sees Jesus, he says, I counted them all as loss. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He's talking, it's past tense. He's like, that is what happened in that moment. I suddenly realized all of that that was in the credit column should be in the debit column instead. I thought it was brilliant. It was rubbish. I thought it was gold. It was dross. And this is what it's like when we encounter Jesus. He challenges us fundamentally about what matters, what counts, what is our confidence. And that's why, maybe if you're not Christian here today, you find it quite hard. Because you say, you want me to, to stop caring about all that stuff? You want me to give up on all that stuff? It's not exactly what I'm saying. But I'm saying it's got to go into a very, very, very distant second place. Because when Jesus comes into your life, everything else has to get out of the way. That's what Paul says happened to him. I counted it as loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, see Paul then, he, had, he worked this out in theory, then he discovered it in experience. Because he then started preaching Jesus, and people didn't like that. And his reputation went, and his family, it seems, were separated from him. And he went from being you know, the, the golden boy to the guy they threw stones at. And so he, he not only counted this philosophically to be the case, he then experienced it. And sometimes that happens for us when we put our trust in Jesus. Family who before have been so positive and so helpful and so encouraging are suddenly quite shocked about what's going on and just say, will you just calm this down a little bit? This just seems to be a little bit, just come on. I mean, it's fine if you want to go to church on Sunday, but don't give your whole life to that. Just be careful, please. And they love you, but all of a sudden, something that gave you confidence all of a sudden isn't. It may even be that the way you work or the patterns of work in your office or your company are predicated on things that you suddenly realize, well, if I'm following Jesus, I just can't live that way anymore. And the guys at work say, well, okay, calm down. Calm down. This, we've got a business to run. This is how we do it. It's going to have to be like this. And suddenly you just say, I just... You know, they would, if, you, if you just said, I'm going somewhere else on a Sunday morning, as long as you weren't playing on a Sunday morning football team with them, they wouldn't mind. But all of a sudden they do mind. Because Jesus is filling your life and changing everything. And you experience loss. And you think, is that weird? Is that strange? And Paul says, well, it's what happened to me. And it's actually what I reckoned before it happened to me. I count everything as a loss. 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish is crap. That's what the word should be. Uh, it's a kind of street refuse, but also excrement. That's, that's the word Paul uses. He wants you to feel it. Interestingly enough, it was actually the kind of thing that dogs would eat. So he's really, really having a go at those other guys who would want you to put your confidence in something else. Now, let's be honest. Most people um, in our culture aren't, it's certainly in Western you know, culture, certainly here in Edinburgh, they're not putting their confidence in religious behavior. They're not saying, I'm going to do all these good deeds to make God love me. That's not what most people are saying. But what they are saying and what the root of it is, the same root is what I do will give me confidence. What I do will be the measure of success and be how I achieve success. And Paul says, crap. It's just not what counts. And he knows this because he has encountered this one who he calls Christ Jesus, my Lord. Christ meaning the word meaning anointed, appointed by God for this task of rescuing us from everything we've done wrong. Jesus, an actual person, not just a philosophy, not just another new way of thinking, but a person with whom you have a personal relationship. It's what God has called us to. It's not just a sense of obedience, it's a sense of knowing him, actually walking with him, walking with him day by day. And that's why Paul doesn't just say Christ Jesus, the Lord, he says Christ Jesus, my Lord. My Lord, meaning my God, meaning my boss, meaning the one who is in charge of all things. All of that, all wrapped up together, Paul says, this, him, puts everything else in the shade. He so fills my life, Paul says. He so transforms my life that nothing else matters. Can we say that? Because there it is. There's, there's the rub at its deepest point. Paul says, I have Jesus. Nothing else matters. Now, when there's a lot of everything else, that's hard. If we were all dirt poor, if we had no advantages in any way, shape, or form, and, and someone said, if you've got Jesus, you've got everything, we might know that more experientially than we do. But actually, this is what God's calling us to. To consider that with Christ, nothing else matters. And the amazing thing is, and this is why Paul isn't confident in any of those pedigree things and any of those performance things that he'd done before, is he realized, and Dan's going to talk about this more in a couple of weeks, that the righteousness, the right standing that he now had with God came entirely from Christ. He said, none of that counts towards my being confident before God. What, if instead, God did it for me. God did it on my behalf. And so, just to kind of make this point, take whatever kind of cultural bogeyman you want to think of, and according to your politics, it'd be different people, and hear this, if in a moment... They realize that Jesus Christ is Lord. They ask him to forgive their sins. He becomes their Lord and they are righteous. They are as righteous as you. If you're a Christian, they are as perfect in God's sight as you, even more so than you, as Jesus. 
That's what happens when you become a Christian. And so that's why Paul says all this other stuff really, really doesn't matter. So, just to make clear, when I say it really, really doesn't matter, it doesn't mean that we sit around and we don't do anything. Paul was a busy guy. Paul did a lot of things. And we are to do things. And I said at the start, we were made by a God who brings purpose to our life, who has brought us into his story, who is calling us to follow him and to obey him, which means doing things. And so we should. But we do it not in order to gain points with him, not in order to pay him back, but instead because this is eternal life, because this is who we now are. So let's just look about what that looks like. Back to verse 3, Paul gives it kind of three things. He started with that, those, uh, those three things about his enemies, they're dogs, they're evildoers, they're mutilators, and then he comes back with three of his own. Here's what life looks like, Paul says, for the Christian. He says, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Let's take those in reverse order. No confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the part of our life that is separate uh, to God. In fact, we want to make more and more of our life belonging to God. All of it. How we live, how we work, how we play, what we do with our spare time, what we do with the time that isn't spare at all. How uh, we serve as employers, how we are connected to the life of the church, how we parent, how we act as a child and as a friend. and All these things, Paul says, we're to do these for God. But we don't put our confidence in those things. So whether you're, uh, you know, you're thinking how many steps says you walked five or 5,000 or 50,000 in a day, you don't put your confidence in that. You can still use it if it helps you to, get, to be fit, because being fit is a, a decent thing to do. But it's not the ultimate thing to do. It can't shape your whole life. It's right to work with your mind and the abilities that God has given you. It's right to have a job and to provide. Those are great things to do, but don't put your confidence in it. How do we do that? Because it's difficult, isn't it? Because you think, well, I want to strive and I want to achieve and I want to do these things, and there seems to be a legitimacy to that. But how do I make sure that I do that without putting my confidence in it? I guess a couple of things. One is to give thanks in everything. As you give thanks to thing, for things, it, it distances you slightly from them. Or at least it can, because you, you're suddenly not saying, didn't I do a good job today? Now, you can be like, God, thank you that I did a great job today. But actually, Lord, thank you, you enabled me to do that today. What I did today, it was because you helped me. It was because you gave me this opportunity. It's because you made this possible for me. So that starts to it, because it starts to say, well, who did this come from, me or him? Oh, it came from him. It reminds us of that. And then I think a more fuller way of doing that is Paul's second point, which is uh, that we glory in Christ Jesus. So it's almost like here's, here are your two options. Do you want to be confident in the flesh or do you want to glory in Christ Jesus? The more you glory in Christ Jesus, the less you have confidence in yourself because you see him for who he truly is. If you just think he's a nice guy who did some nice things, I mean, that's just not going to cause you, he's, you know, he doesn't get to kind of go over you at that point. She's like, well, I'm the one involved right here. But if he is the one who's sustaining all things right now by his powerful word, which is what the Bible says he is, suddenly he needs to get a bit more credit. 
You need to get a bit more credit for how your day went because the fact that you breathed all day long was because he enabled you to breathe and he gave you oxygen and he gave you a body that processes it. He did that. And when you're glorying in Christ Jesus, you're making yourself more aware of that. And when you think to yourself, how did today go? Well, but my metrics are pretty low, to be honest. But what has Christ done for me? A phenomenal amount again today. He has forgiven me for all of my sins. He has welcomed me. He has listened to me. And I prayed, even when I prayed that rubbish half prayer of desperation rather than do what I should have done, even then he heard and he spoke to the Father in heaven on my behalf. He said, listen to that Father. I'm agreeing with them. I'm helping. Let's help them. And he sent the Spirit to you that you would be animated by him, who we'll get onto in a moment. He did all these things for you. He did these things. Ah. <sighs> He's just wonderful. And we have to, we, you can't just assume you're going to think that about him. You have to feed yourself and remind yourself on a daily basis of the greatness of God. You've got to look in his word and see what it says about him and say, this is good news for me and for everyone. He's a God who is just. He's a God who is loving. He's a God who cares. He's a God who hears. He's a God who speaks. He's a God who saves. He's a God who heals. He's a God who provides. He's a God who's going to bring justice for all things and bring them all up into a new eternity when we're going to be with him forever. He's going to do all of these things. We're to praise him now for that. We're to glory in it now. And as you glory in that, and as you glory in what he has done for you and what he is going to do for you and what your certain eternity with him will be if you've put your trust in him. As the song says, the things of this world will go strangely dim. Because you glory in him and your confidence in yourself decreases. You can still do that job. In fact, you may even do it better because you're no longer depending just on yourself but on him but where your confidence is, has shifted. There's a, a, a term in kind of like, like theatre and um, films and stuff like that, uh, deus ex machina. And it goes all the way back to the Greek uh, theatre, all the way back, ancient Greek. And what would happen is the play would be going along and things would be generally going bad and then suddenly the deus ex machina would appear, which means God in the machine, uh, because often it was uh, God was winched down onto the stage. And today it's considered quite poor form in drama that things are going on, things are going on, and then suddenly something comes in that changes everything and fixes everything. And the term is deus ex machina, and sometimes you see it in a, and you're like, how is this plot going to be resolved? How is this story going to be fixed? What on earth is going on? And then boom, one thing happens, and you feel a little bit like, oh, that's cheating. Because they were trying and they were striving and they were having plans and they didn't know how they were going to get out of it. And I thought, how are they going to do that? And what's going to happen? And then something suddenly happened and everything changed. That is the Christian life. That is actually the Christian life. That even after we become Christian, we are struggling with working things out and then God comes in and changes it. God comes in and brings us hope where we had no hope. Even at those lowest moments, and many of you have experienced it, you think, I didn't know how this was going to change. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then God came in and changed everything. And he does that. And so we glory in him. We put our trust in him. It is how he saved us. It's how he's going to bring all things to an end. Whatever state the world will be in at that point, suddenly Jesus is going to arrive and bring it all to completion create new heavens and a new earth and those who have put our trust in him will be with him forever just like that and you will have contributed little to that and so we glory in him we put no confidence in the flesh 
And so we worship, Paul says, by the Spirit. The word he uses there for worship also has a sense of service. And so what Paul's saying is our whole lives are enabled, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God in us. It isn't just you become a Christian and then you start thinking in new ways and you become a bit cleverer. Uh, it might happen, but it might not. There's plenty of evidence of it not happening. But there's, what does happen is that the power of God comes into our life. He changes how we think. He changes how we are. We look back on our lives 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whenever it was we became a Christian. It may have been last week. We think, suddenly I've changed. God has begun something in me that this powerful work is now different to what I was before. Now I'm cooperating, of course I'm cooperating with him, but he is in the driving seat and he's the one putting the fuel into the car. He's the one making this happen. I'm basically just tagging along and by his grace I get to be changed. And so I can't put confidence in my flesh. I can't say, look at how I learned to understand the Bible. Look at how I learned to be kinder to those people who are winding me up. Look at how I uh, learned to be happy with less money and less time than I had before because I give these things away uh, for God and his people. That doesn't just happen. God makes it happen. And you just therefore cannot be confident in the flesh. And are confident instead in God. So where's your confidence? So I've described these two ways of living. Where, where would you say yours is? We're meant to live lives full of purpose. We are. But they are, that is not meant to define us. Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's meant to fill your life. The great Scottish preacher Thomas Chalmers talked about the expulsive power of a new affection. When Christ came into Paul's life, everything else was crap even though it was fine. Paul says elsewhere about his Jewish heritage, I thank God for it. But compared to knowing Jesus, it was nothing. So I want to encourage you, glory in Christ Jesus. Cooperate with his spirit. As you do that, there will be no space for confidence in the flesh. Last thing, then the band are going to lead us in a song. The word confidence comes from uh, Latin, and it means with faith. It's actually how we're meant to live. With faith in Jesus, who died for me, who sent his spirit to live in me now, and who will one day return to make everything new. That is to be our confidence. We're going to sing now about that, so I want to encourage you uh, to stand. And Lord Jesus, we want to... Just thank you for your goodness to us and your kindness. I want to thank you, Lord, you've spoken to us today about where our heart is and the state of our heart. We want to put our confidence in you, Lord God, however able we are and however successful things have been, we want to put confidence in you, faith in you. So say if you're not a Christian and you want to talk some more with me about this, like why is this your confidence? How could that ever possibly be my confidence? I would love to talk with you afterwards. Uh, just come and grab me and we can talk about that. We're now going to sing a song that declares this truth of what God has done for us. I want to encourage you, do it with faith, with confidence, because that's how you're meant to live.